Welcome to the Books of Titans podcast, where I seek truth in the world's best books. I'm your host, Eric Rostad, coming to you from the beautiful Books of Titans studio in Franklin, Tennessee. My goal is to read 52 books per year and share what I'm learning. I'll talk a bit about each book, tie ideas together from a variety of genres, and share the one thing I always hope to remember from each book. Today, we're going to cover the book Blood Meridian, or The Evening Redness in the West, by Cormac McCarthy. And this is actually episode 2.0 of our going after, going over Blood Meridian, because this book actually deserves it. And we'll talk about why in just a moment. So Eric, take it away. Yeah. The, and one of the main reasons I wanted to, to, to have another discussion about this book is we both had a similar reaction the first reading, and that was that uh, of disgust. And I know for myself, I, I could not, I couldn't look past the violence. And from what I've seen from other critics and, and other people who, who now love this book, uh, they had a very similar reaction the first time. But also, as I've read it this second time and have noticed more in the book, it makes me think of our last episode we did together where we, we did a Q&A on the Bible. And one of the questions I asked you about was the Son of Man reference. And you said there are two ways to read the term son of man. The first is just a basic Jesus saying that he is a son of a man. But there's also another way where that son of man term refers back to Daniel. And if you take it from that, it is a whole different meaning and more complexity. And, and it opens up what Jesus is saying in that term, son of man. Similar to Blood Meridian here, where you can read through this book and you will come across terms that are, are odd. And for me, the first time I read this book, I just blew right through those. I just blew right past them. But this time I, I took a deeper look and they actually mean something. And so what, Jason, we, we were just briefly talking before and you, you mentioned that this book should be read a certain way. Should this be, should this book, should you just kind of read through it quickly or is this one where you do want to chew on it a little? Yeah, it's interesting because I mean, I still am not a big fan of this book in the sense that it's not a book that's fun to read. No, it's not an enjoyable read. And, and so, you know, my, my, a lot of the complaints that I had the first time really haven't gone away, but, uh, and, and just looking at what I'd said the prior in our prior episode, I said, you know, the violence didn't bother me so much. And for whatever that says about me, <laughs> maybe that's not the best thing. The bother, the, the, the violence didn't bother me so much as the gratuity of it. And it was and, and just the it, it became tiresome and kind of boring after a while where you're just reading slaughter scene after slaughter scene and, and various things. And just the gratuity of it made it seem very empty to me. Uh, and. So it was the emptiness of the book and the overall kind of lack of direction that's in the book. I mean, it's a very postmodern novel in that sense. And so for me, I didn't really, I didn't, I didn't like that aspect of it. I still, in a lot of ways, don't. But the more time I've had to chew on it, the more I've recognized that what he's done in this book, what 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 McCarthy has done in this book has been. He wants he'll he'll toss some turns of phrase in there that are strange that are weird. Uh, I know one that we were talking about off air was uh, the boy the the boy the father of the man, 
And it's a strange turn of phrase. And McCarthy wants you to stumble over that and then chew on it and be like, wait, what, what does that mean? What is he, what is he getting at? And if you, of course, go far enough, if you look that up, then you'll find that that's actually a, an allusion to a poem. And there's all sorts of other things that go into that. And there are a lot of places where he does this with the language or just various descriptions where there's something that's just a little weird or out of place. And it's there to kind of trigger you into an inner text to get you to think about the implications of, of what he's saying in light of other things. And so I think this is a book that has to be read slowly and it has to be chewed on and it has to be appreciated for what it is and not for what say a reader might want it to be, or, you know, for, for being, it, you, sh you can't go into this book expecting it to be a pleasant read. It's a challenging read and it's supposed to be a challenging read and it's supposed to be a slow read. And it's supposed to be something that gets you chewed up inside and reflecting on a lot of different things about literature, about morality, about all, about the way the world works. He, he wants you to have to really chew on a lot of things and to go through things slowly instead of just reading the way that you typically are going to read a novel, say. Yeah. And, and what's, what's funny is, so we, we both first read this book in 2017 and I, I hated it. It's the book I hated the most out of all the books I've read for this project. And yet it's the one I can't stop thinking about. <laughs> well, and, and the thing is, it's, it's no coincidence that that was, that we read it as part of a basically book a week project where you're flying through a lot of literature, relatively speaking. And yeah, you're not, we're not reading it very slowly and chewing on it over that time. And yeah, it's, it's one of those books that sticks with you and it does, you have to chew on it a long time. And even if you're not, if you don't go back and revisit it, there are things that you end up thinking about in it where you're like, Hmm, you know, when you come up, when you, when you're reading about, when you're reading something else and you're like, Oh yeah, that reminds me of, and then you're called to one of those illusions and then you start reflecting on that. And, and I think there's a lot of those things. I mean, no, no more obvious than the figure of the judge, Judge Holden in this book, who is very clearly alluding to several other, one in particular, very important figures in literary history, uh, especially Milton's Satan, which we talked about on the last episode, but uh, we definitely deserves more discussion on this one as well. Yeah, and, and the cool thing is that the book references other works of literature. So as you mentioned, Milton, uh, another big one, Moby Dick, the Bible, other works of literature. It also references actual history. Hmm. So Judge Hold Holden was an actual man. The uh, Glanton gang was an actual gang that was tasked with getting scalps. And so... It's in, in the character of Judge Holden. I mean, McCarthy didn't even change his name. That that was the person's <laughs> name and uh, probably made him a little scarier in, term, in terms of how, how he looked and, and all that. <laughs> but he's described, I mean, the, the, the actual description in the book it written by a person who was, who was uh, fighting in the Glanton gang is very similar to what we see in Blood Meridian. So you've got yeah, he just turns got, it, he just turns it up to eleven in Blood Meridian, where he takes that description and then he sort of mythologizes it as opposed to otherwise. And actually, in a lot of ways, that's what this book is. 
And that's and mm. that's one of the reasons why it's so important to understand that that the Glanton gang is a historical gang and that, you know, he's building on a historical framework here. What he's doing is he's mythologizing history in and he's doing it in a very deliberate way. He's writing in a lot of ref- in a lot of respects, this book is the epic, the epic of the the American West of you know the 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 Western frontier in the cowboy days you know that sort of thing. He's tr- he's writing basically the Iliad or Odyssey style epic of those of those days, but instead of glorifying those days and saying, oh man, look at the, you know, look at the John Wayne Cowboys and how, man, Cowboys and Indians, how great is this? He leans into the awfulness of all of that and says, so let's, let's, let's understand that when we mythologize, we, we are, we're, we're, we're making a moral universe, Right, we're we're establishing how va- how these things not only what happened in history, but how these things are in terms of value, how we should look at the world, and he flips things on their head. And by the time you're done with this book, you're like, man, this is th- that was not a pl- not a time to live, and that was not a place to go. And man, the you know nobody should be glorying in the cowboys and Indians days, and you know cowboys and all this. This is utter violence and just uh, this is this is not the way that human beings should treat one another Mm. and he leans into that as a way of it's a it's a it's a subtle critique that's completely unsubtle of foundations of you know american society in a lot of ways Mm -hmm. well in the the other neat thing is that he in, in in referencing actual history referencing literature and he he also references himself mccarthy does he also the book references itself and that's one of the first things i wanted to to talk about and one one uh one i guess connection point that stuck out to me and i I just wanted to 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 dig into it a little bit and, and see if we can kind of find find more there and one occurs at the very beginning of the book and the other occurs towards the very end of the book and the first is when the kid first encounters the judge and he encounters them at kind of a, a, a revival or a uh, where there's a reverend speaking to a, a rough crowd. And the judge comes up and says this, ladies and gentlemen, I feel it is my duty to inform you that the man holding this revival is an imposter. He holds no papers of divinity from any institution recognized or improvised. He is altogether devoid of the least qualification to the office he has usurped and has only committed to memory a few passages from the good book for the purpose of leading, lending to his fraudulent sermons some faint flavor of the, of the piety he despises. In truth, the gentleman standing here before you, posing as a minister of the Lord, is not only totally illiterate, but is also wanted by the law in the states of Tennessee, Kentucky, Mississippi, and Arkansas. And then he goes on, he says, uh, on, on a variety of charges, the most recent of which involved a girl of 11 years, I said 11, who had come to him in trust and whom he, had, he was surprised in the act of violating while ac- actually clothed in the livery of his God, uh, end quote. So here the judge comes in and just says, all this stuff about the the minister, and then a few pages later, we find out that he the judge has never seen 
this this uh, reverend, and he just made all that up. But he made it up, and the people at, who are at this meeting get so upset that the implication is that this man is probably killed. And so that's the first that's the first we see of the judge, and it's the first we see of this of this preacher. But the the terms here. Standing before you, posing as a minister of the Lord, is not only totally illiterate, but is also wanted by the law in the states of Tennessee, Kentucky, Mississippi, and Arkansas. That's the story at the beginning. Now, let's if we jump to towards the end, this is a description of the kid later on. He traveled about from place to place. He did not avoid the company of other men. He was treated with a certain deference as one who had got onto terms with life beyond what his years could account for. By now he'd come by a horse and a revolver, the rudiments of an outfit. He worked at different trades. He had a Bible that he'd found at the mining camps, and he carried this book with him, no word of which he could read. In his dark and frugal clothes, some took him for some sort of a preacher, but he was no witness to them, neither of things at hand nor things to come, he least of any man." End quote. So it, 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 it's interesting because there, there's a lot of connection points here. You, you've, you've got uh, a, a traveling minister at the beginning, and then you've got the kid almost pretending to be a traveling minister. He carries with him a Bible, but he can't even read it. So what, what does all this mean? And, and I, I think I think that I think you're supposed to grapple with it in in that sense, and I think you're supposed to make that connection because there's a lot of these types of examples in the book where there's two stories that are somewhat similar, and then you look at them and, and they inform each other. So that's one of the stories. I, I want to even go further with this story, and and get into to a second point and in a question that I have for you, Jason, and who, and it's this, who did the judge kill at the end of the book? <laughs> so we're, we're getting right into spoilers here. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's a good question. And, you know, I'm, I still am not, uh, am not certain that at, at, at the answer to that, I, I don't know if you have a specific uh a specific idea there i'm not uh i don't have a a a definitive answer that i'm i'm willing to to put out there so what 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 are your thoughts on this well most of what you read so uh harold bloom has a an introduction to some of the versions of of blood meridian and he's a, a famous critic and uh is is closely tied with Blood Meridian just because he had trouble. He could not get through the book the first two times, and then he eventually saw in it something that, that really struck him. And he he's convinced the kid is killed at the end. The first time I read it, I, I also made that same assumption. Uh, as I did a little searching, though, that's not the assumption of, of everyone. And when I w- went back to read it closer... It never says that the kid is actually killed. And we we know someone is killed. So the, the kid goes to the Jake, which is the outhouse. And when he gets in there, the judge is in there. And the judge kind of envelops him in, in a, 
a hug. And then the next thing we know, there's people who also want to go into the outhouse and, and someone says, uh, I wouldn't go in there. And they look in and, and somebody looks in and he says, good God almighty. So whatever took place in there is, is so wretched that Cormac McCarthy doesn't even tell us what happened. We just, we have to imagine what happened. And so the assumption is the kid's the last person to go in there. So the kid must have been the one that was, was brutally murdered. And, and he was murdered by the judge because that's the last person that he saw. And that's in the episode I did last week. That's the, that's the version that I went forward with. And then I also explained it that the reason the judge killed him is because the judge, to the judge, God was war. And so you, if God is war, there's no room for mercy. And you had some examples in the book where the kid showed mercy to some people, often in kind of a twisted way. But so that if, if you take that, that reasoning, the judge killed the kid because he couldn't stand this mercy. And if, if God is war, there can't be mercy. And so you've got to get rid of any form of mercy. And, th- and that kind of makes sense. But there's something else that's happening here. And that is that they're in this bar, they're in this tavern in a city in Texas known as like the worst, the worst city for sin, for, for, it's just degenerate to the full. And there is in this tavern that night, a bear, and there's a little girl with the bear. So the, the little girl's kind of, uh, it's, it's her bear. It's a show bear, that kind of thing. And someone shoots the bear and kills the bear. And this, this little girl is, is just distraught. And a few pages after that, there is a statement that the little girl is missing. They can't, they can't find the little girl. And if we look back to other parts in the book, we know that the judge will often take little kids and, and kill them. And so the, the judge is known for, for killing, killing kids. So now we've got, if, if, if instead of the kid being killed, it's the little girl, who killed the little girl? Was it the judge? And he, and he had reason that's who he, he had killed in the, the other parts of the book. But, or was it the kid? And the reason I say, was it the kid is what we just read about the preacher at the beginning. And so the judge accuses that preacher at the beginning of on a variety of charges, the most recent of which involved a girl of 11 years, I said 11, who had come to him in trust and whom he was surprised in the act of violating while actually clothed in the library of his God. The other thing he said about, about this preacher, which I, and, and again, these were all lies, is that he was totally illiterate. When we, when we see the kid in that part that I read, he is illiterate, but he carries the Bible with him. So he's got a Bible, he can't read it. And then the other part is he's wanted by the law in the states of Tennessee, Kentucky, Mississippi, and Arkansas. The kid was the kid had had done things in a lot of the states on his way to Texas that probably would have been to where he would w- be wanted by the law. So I, I think there's a connection point where in that story at the beginning, we're almost finding out about what the kid is is actually like. And then that statement of of the little girl at the beginning. What if you took that to mean that the kid, the, that's what the kid ended up doing, and the kid was the one that killed the little girl? So there's a couple scenarios there. Because uh, the, ju- the judge was in the bathroom, in the outhouse. So one is that the judge 
the girl went in and the judge killed the girl. The other is that the the kid killed the little girl. The other scenario could be that both the judge and the kid killed the little girl together. Because earlier on, the, the judge, just a few pages before, the judge tells the kid that that night, his soul may be demanded of him. So when you, I, I usually take that to mean that his life, his soul, that would be, he may die that night. But if we look at what the judge says earlier about the soul, this is a, this is a statement I read last week. There's a flawed place in the fabric of your heart. This is the judge talking to the kid earlier. There's a flawed place in the fabric of your heart. Do you think I could not know? You alone were mutinous. You alone reserved in your soul some corner of clemency for the heathen. So what if he's referring to that part of the soul? You, you alone reserved in your soul some corner of clemency for the heathen. And so when he says your soul is required of you, what if that... The, the reason the judge did not like the kid is because he had that, that part of his soul that, that had mercy. If the kid was the one that killed the little girl, that's the end of that mercy. Because he, well, he well, killed innocence. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to step in here for a second. I'm not, I'm not sure that that actually is necessary there. Because if you look at what the kid has done in the past, he, his examples of showing mercy are themselves controversial in the sense of the, uh, they are he refuses to kill say me- other members of the Glanton gang who are maimed who are really badly injured right mm-hmm. he helps them with their wounds and that's the thing that sort of sets him apart and is a as someone who's not like a lot of the others where, you know, somebody gets badly injured and well, bam, just shoot you in the head. Now we don't have to worry about you anymore. Your, your share is our share. Now, um, the kid doesn't like, you can see the kid doesn't really have an inner life in this book, mm-hmm. but you can kind of see that that's by his actions, that that's not the way that that works. And that's what the judge is kind of complaining about, right? Is that he didn't have the stones to do what was necessary. And, Put and and have real mercy on those people and put them out of their suffering. Mm-hmm. And you can see that in the rest of that quote, where he's where he says, "You alone reserved in your soul some corner of clemency for the heathen." And then he said, "You think I've killed Brown and Toadvine? There is a lie. They are alive as you and me. They are alive and in possession of the fruits of their election. Do you not understand? Ask the priest. The priest knows what this is saying. Is he saying, you know, he's he's." The question is whether that's actually legitimate, you know, in the sense of whether there is really an afterlife or whatever. But he's basically saying, you know, oh, you think you're better than me because you're not killing these people. You think you're better because you're, you, you know, you, 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 you aren't going to be killing these people. And you didn't pull the pull the trigger in those cases. But. Pulling the trigger isn't what really kills them. Right. They're no they're no more dead than you and me. So. The question is, does he come into that situation where he walks in and the judge is naked in the in 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 the in the bathroom or in the outhouse that is in the Jake with the girl? And if it's what we see like, oh, good God, don't go in there. He just walked in and we've already seen that, you know, the judge scalps. He he abuses. And again, this is not a book for people with a weak stomach. He abuses children. 
and he walks in and presumably this girl is still alive. You know mm. what? Maybe that maybe that's the moment where what what the soul is required to do. And I think you're probably right. It's not the kid that dies here. Um and that's why I wasn't sure myself, but I, I think you're I think your reading your is is a good reading here. I think the kid has to pull basically has to has to finish the job because she's left alive. Hmm. And so now the one part of his soul that he kind of kept <laughs> the thing that he wouldn't do is the mercy kill. And now that that's how the book ends. Yeah. He's been the one thing that, you know, the one the one thing that he just didn't have the stomach to do before, that's the thing now he he's going to go ahead and finish the job because with what the judge just did, there, there's no other really viable option. And then of course that does bring things full circle and I think it's worth noting that in some of those stories that you've mentioned that come come full circle in this novel, and there's another one with the uh, the parable of the uh, the traveler and the uh, and and all of that that then we see actually manifested in the last pages of the book as well in the in the second to last chapter I think it is. Um, what's interesting is that in each each of those cases, I think in all of those cases, it's something that the judge makes up initially. Mm-hmm. Like he just is making stuff up. Like he makes that up. Like he just says he made it up about the preacher up there. Mm-hmm. But then that actually is what happens with the kid. Yeah. And then he made it up. He tells this other story that he's making up about something. And then we find out that that actually has happened as well and, and happens. So what we're finding is that the judge has almost creative power in this sense, right? That what he's declaring is actually happening. Hmm. Yeah. So I think there's another indication of sort of how that's all working together in this novel. Well, and the, and the brilliant thing of it is in either of the two scenarios we just mentioned of the judge killing the kid or the judge slash kid killing the girl, the judge wins. The judge and is the always going to win in this book. <laughs> yeah, because he's dancing at the end. So. He's dancing, he's fiddling, and he he says he will never die. He never sleeps. He will never die. So if he has killed the kid, and that's the version that, that you take, and it's because the kid showed mercy and he had to get rid of mercy, then he won in the diabolical diabolical sense. But if he if he got the kid to kill that last vestige of his soul, he won because he conquered the kid even though the kid still lives. And one, one of the reason people picked up, it picked up on, on that the kid was not the one that was, was killed is when, when the, the other people come up to the Jake, it said there, there's a third man was standing there urinating into the mud. Is someone in there? The first man said, the man who was relieving himself did not look up. I wouldn't go in there if I was you, he said. And they said that third man was, was likely the kid. Because um, nowhere in the book does the judge make a grammatical error. The judge is a, is a diabolical Renaissance man. He, he is not going to make a grammatical error, but the kid is illiterate and unschooled. And so he would say, I wouldn't go in there if I was you. So they're, they're, they're saying, and that's after the, the murder has taken place. And so... 
that that's one way you can you can read that and and it, it is very it's left very wide open and i i think for that reason but so on, on the one hand the, the judge wins in either scenario however on the other hand depending on who is killed at the end that changes the entire book as you look back at it it's almost like when 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 i was a kid did you ever read those choose your own adventure books yeah yeah i, I read it's, a couple of them it's kind of like the flip of that. Whereas you choose your own ending in a way and depending on the ending, that's, that's what determines how you read the remainder of the book or, or how you, how you look back through the rest of the book. Yeah. I think that's basically right. I mean, uh, I I do want to get into a little bit of what this is, what this is doing in terms of, of judge Holden. And I think it's interesting that if, if we look at this last paragraph, the last lines of the book, right? His feet are light and nimble. He never sleeps. He says that he will never die. He dances in light and in shadow. And he is a great favorite. He never sleeps, the judge. He is dancing, dancing. He says that he will never die. And I think that, you know, obviously he chooses this figure of the judge from the Glanton gang, from the, the historical story. But I think in the choice to call him the judge, as opposed to just Holden or judge Holden to call him the judge throughout the book. I think that, I think there's, he's signaling something about this figure that is really important. Uh, and we, we, we we would be it would we would be remiss if we did not allude to if we did not talk about the illusion the obvious illusion to uh to satan in paradise lost uh from from milton where there's the, there's the whole scene where the glanton gang is about to be overwhelmed by uh by their enemies and all of a sudden there's judge holden and he tells everybody to go to uh, go to this volcanic, this place of volcanic ash and, and rock, uh, to basically to the open mouth of a volcano, and then to use the various chemicals along with their own urine, which includes one of the great lines from this book, one of my favorite lines. He was crying out to us to piss, piss, or to, or to piss, man, piss for your very souls, <laughs> right? So you've got that, but they do this in order to make gunpowder. And then there's this whole thing about making gunpowder from the earth and all of this that is a clear allusion to Milton's Satan doing the same thing. So this is this is lining up Judge Holden in the position of of Satan. But one of the things that that that's different about this book as compared to, say, Paradise Lost and Paradise Lost, Satan is a charismatic uh, super interesting, too interesting of a figure, but Satan is still Satan and is still standing against God. In this novel, you have the judge who is by far the most memorable. I mean, every other character kind of fades into the, into the background. This, this novel is about the judge. He's by far the most charismatic. He's all of these things. The novel finishes with this statement about him. He never sleeps the judge. But God is remarkably absent. 
throughout this book. There is no God in this book. There's lots of discussion about the good book, which actually, in some ways, I think is alluding to this book itself. It's a self-reference to not the Bible, but to Blood Meridian in some cases, that that, that actually is the, the good book, as it were, in the context of this, this universe. But basically, aside from people sort of signaling to a belief in something or, you know, there's the Bible. Okay, well, what does it mean? I don't know. I can't read it, but, you know, it's important. I'm carrying it with me because it gives me gravitas. I'm going to take it to, you know, hold it and hold it up in front of a church because, you know, that's going to, that's going to show people something, right? That's the idea, but it, there, there's no, there's nothing from the content of the Bible that works its way in, right? There's no God that shows up. Instead, all you have is raw power. You kill or you are, or you are killed. And whether something is right, you know, the morality of things is determined solely by whether or not you are strong enough to do it. And of course, this makes for a horrifying novel. It makes for horrifying. You know, the behavior that people do is not something that we, would, we, we actually want to be involved in. But the fact is that as you're going through this, you're saying, yeah, who's going to stop them? And of course you go, well, you know, God might, right? But God doesn't. And even even in when, when the guy opens the door of the Jake, when he's told I wouldn't go in there, what does he say? Good God Good Almighty. God. Right? That's that's as close as you get to God being in there, and it's it's used as a as a exclamation of horror. There's one other it, part that sticks out in that the, after the one guy is shot, he is singing hymns. So yes. he, he is he is dying, and and the the fascinating thing about it is every like everyone recognizes the hymns. So it's it's like going past filters in people's head to where they remember these songs from their childhood, but the only time a hymn is sung is because this guy's just been shot. He's about to die, and and that's that's the only time like something comes in like that. Yeah, and, and and I think this is where we come back to calling this figure the judge in this context. Well, in Christianity, who's the judge? It's not the devil. It's not Satan. It's God. But what we have in this, what we have here is sort of the frightening... And the frightening way of, of, of operationalizing this in such a way that the devil and God are the same person. The judge is, you notice it doesn't say he's the devil. You've got this implication throughout that he's the devil, especially once you get those allusions to Milton. It's like, you know, confirming like, guys, this is Satan. Except that there's no God. And if there's a Satan, but there's no God, then who's the judge? Who's the one that's actually in charge? And it's that guy. Why is why is it and not capitalized? I, I think I think because because it's a different kind of God, right? This is not mm -hmm. the good God, right? This is the this is the God who's actually running things, but is not. There, there's no reverence for this figure. It just is. 
Mm-hmm. Right? And so I think, you know, I, I think that in a lot of ways, this book, in particular, Holden, is a well-considered literary embodiment of Nietzsche's post-God human. So, I, I mean, I think that that's really where the kind of brilliance of this book lies is you know, Nietzsche is famous for saying God is dead, right? Everybody knows that quote, mm-hmm. but very few people actually know uh, the context of that quote. <laughs> and it's not saying what a lot of people think he's saying, right? He's not saying that, you know, when he says God is taught, you know, God is dead. He's not, he's not rejoicing like, Oh, ding dong. God is dead. Yay. What he's saying is that the idea of God is, has passed. He's making, he's saying that in European society, now there's, there's no, in the past, you could say, well, God wills this. You know, well, why do we do this? Well, because that's what God said. But he was seeing a day where that was not going to, that was not a viable reason for anything. That people had ceased to believe in a God who was interactive in that way. And he was saying, look, God in that sense is dead. We have killed him. That's what he says. Mm-hmm. And so in, and, and he actually expresses concern for what that means. Well, in last, last week's episode, I, I, I pulled in the Dostoevsky brothers Karamazov where he said, if God is dead, everything is permissible. Right. And so th- this is, you know, basically the, the question is, how are we going to deal with that whole, and, and he says, you know, the way, even, even with God being dead, even once people, you know, once the philosophers realize that there is no God, that's the basic idea. Once you get that, there's still going to be the shadow of God that kind of governs how people are going to do that. Like, you know, the, all of the cultural heritage that came from this idea, the morality that come, that originally came from, that was originally backed by this deity it's, he says, you know, it may be millennia before that, you know, fades away, but before the shadow of God, you know, or as, uh, as, um, I, who was it? Um, it was, uh, uh, Yuval Harari that said, God is dead, but it's taken us a while to dispose of the corpse. And the idea is that, you know, there's still a morality that, that is in a lot of ways, and Harari points this out, is not defensible scientifically. Right. If if we all arise from the processes, if the if the natural order is survival of the fittest, then what what is the actual metaphysical reason for say human rights? How explain to me what why why it is that humans have rights? Why are there universal human rights? Why can't I just do what I want to do? Isn't isn't the survival of the fittest the the rule of the of the cosmos? And what Blood Meridian does is it takes you into a world where survival of the fittest is the actual morality. So it is kind and of what all. Yuval Harari did in Homo Deus, isn't yes. it? Because he kind of, he kind of took if these ideas are true, 
which was to me kind of the frustrating part of that book because you could never tell if that's what he believed or not. But he just would go with it, like because uh, in the, in the one part I remember vividly where it's like, all right, the soul is dead, and and he just makes that statement and moves on as if the soul is dead. But if that is the case, I think his point was, if these things that we're saying, if they are true, this is how it could play out in the near future. And that's I I'd never made that connection between Blood Meridian and and Homo Deus. And that's where this is really a, truly a, in a lot of ways, it's sort of the platonic ideal of a postmodern novel in that it systematically undermines any attempt to import morality. Hmm. Right. There's no morality native to this world. Mm hmm. There's no one that's that's critiquable. And yet at the same point, when you're reading it, you're horrified at what's being done, to, that what people are doing to one another. And you know that there's something wrong about this. Mm -hmm. So it's even self-critiquing. It's it's critique, right? It, the critique is that there's no there is no meta narrative. And yet that leads us to this place of yawning horror where we come face to face with, well, then does that mean that God is the devil and the devil is God? And that there is no God, but that, you know, that you have this sort of junior God that is, that is nature. Hmm. And, you know, that is, you know, that's a place that a lot of us don't want to, don't want to go. Mm -hmm. But the book kind of takes you there and says, okay, what, what do you think of this place? And it's no coincidence that, and, I mean, it's, it's, it's the ideal situ situation that Judge Holden, the historical Judge Holden, is best known in those uh, in those discussions, first of all, for being a, a pretty awful person, but for waxing wise and discoursing on the theory of evolution. Survival of the fittest. And of course, we have that in this book. It's, you know, amped up and all this. But you've got the mythologized thing of this. This is what it looks like when you take that as the way of the world. And so he's the judge of that world. Mm -hmm. I think so. I think that's the idea. So, you know, you're left kind of wondering who he is in the sort of metaphysical sense, because there, there doesn't seem to be a, a, a God in, in, or space for a God in this world, but there is, but he is supernatural, right? Mm -hmm. We see, you know, there's too much, there's too many coincidences with him and, but he's supernaturally evil. Mm-hmm. But how can we call him evil? He's the one that's telling us what's good and what's not. And, and he knows more than the rest of us. But we feel it in our bones. And, and the people that want to kill him, like after, after Holden kills one of the kids, one of the members of the gang goes up and points a gun at his head, but he ends up not pulling the trigger. Mm -hmm. He just, he can't do it. And the you know, kid has one opportunity when he has him in his sights and he thinks about it. Yeah. And, you know, this is a connection to Moby Dick where you mm -hmm. have the same, the same kind of thing that's happening there where, you know, is it better to just kill the, the, the guy who is causing all the mayhem? Is it better to, to, to do the one? And actually this again gets back to the, the, the kid has to learn to, to, has to learn that, that, Morality is flexible enough that you have to make the hard choices, right? He can't mercy kill. Well, you know what the ultimate mercy kill would be here? 
one bullet in the judge, one bullet in Glanton, and then we all go home. Mm-hmm. And all and all these Native Americans get to keep their scalps, and all these children get to live longer, and all that. But you know, are you willing to pull the trigger on the on the on the monster, or do you hesitate because you know that would be that would be killing? So is that is that the point where the judge wins when the kid ha- has him in his sights with the gun and he doesn't pull the trigger? I, I think I, I think the, the answer to that is that there is no winning. Yeah. Well, the judge is going to win either way. I think that's the point is I, either way you're made into a killer. But and the kid's already a killer anyway, being with the Glanton gang. So that's another another issue altogether. But if he pulls the trigger a winning, on the judge to do that. But there's a winning he, he, by force. If, if he wins by force, that's the first scenario at the end where he just kills the kid brutally. The winning by persuasion, the winning by something else is the kid actually partaking in the murder of the little girl. So I, th- I think that's where I, the, the, I'm making a distinction of winning because yeah, the first one either is just way a is win- the point. Oh yeah. 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 Right? Either way. But, but one is a, a power thing where the judge overpowers by killing. The second is the kid succumbs to it. But I see, I think the I think the question is, is, is either way, are you succumbing to it? Either it's, it's the thing of like, I want you to kill me. Go ahead, do it. Mm-hmm. Please. Because if you do, I win. And then if you don't, I'm going to do something so horrible that you're going to have to do something just as bad. Just so that you have to clean up the mess that I'm making. So how does the Either judge way, win? He wins. How does the judge win if the kid kills him? Well, I, the, I think because the, he turns the, the, the kid into a yeah, the kid the kid becomes a monster in, in you know in in that process anyway, I and mean, he's he's now he's now operating according to the the moral framework that the judge has already set up, and there's also some question of whether the judge can die, right? I mean, that's the mm-hmm. that's kind of an open question by the end of it. He says he will never die. Yeah. We don't know. Yeah. But I don't know. It's, it's, it's interesting. There's a lot, there's a lot there, but I think, I mean, I think that the judge is, is written as the kind of Nietzschean Ubermensch, the Superman, the one who's beyond, who's evolved beyond human morality, Mm -hmm. which is exactly what Nietzsche talks about. The one who has evolved past our feeble humanity. He is the Nietzschean Ubermensch. And the Nietzschean Ubermensch is kind of horrifying. <laughs> yeah. The, the thing that we may evolve into, and this is where the connection to, to Harari's Homo Deus, the, the, final, the final third or so of Harari's Homo Deus is really there because he's very much interacting with Nietzsche and the notion of, of uh, you know, Homo Deus is, you know, God-man becoming more than human. Mm-hmm. superhuman it's the ubermensch that's what that's what he's dealing with as well they're they're both grappling with this nietzschean heritage mm-hmm. so a lot of interesting stuff there yeah and I, I think you know taking a step back here this my second reading of this book was a completely different experience than the first the first i just i i 
I made my way through it to, to finish it. I hated every minute of it. The violence was overwhelming. I couldn't get past that. I didn't want to get past that to, to find these allusions to other works of literature. Uh, but, but the second time through, I, I was desensitized to that violence to where I was, I was more interested in the writing, what was going on. I was questioning things this time. Um, why did he just use that phrase? And then when you, when you look into it and, and see and, and how it's alluding to other, to other works of literature, how it's alluding to itself and how it's even alluding to actual hist, hist, historic, uh, occurrences and people, uh, it just adds all these elements. And then when you look at, uh, the, the ending, the thing, the thing was seeing potential different endings really, I guess it created a new sense for the book as well for me, where, I mean, if you, if you think that the kid is the one killed, then here's how all these things make sense. If you think it's the little girl that got killed, well, it takes all these other parts of the book and, and kind of gives evidence for that. And so you're just kind of left like spinning your wheels. Like what, what did take place? And it, it's one of those where you just, you can't get it out of your head and it becomes a really interesting book in that sense. And I guess you see what M- McCarthy was doing and it, it's a really brilliant book in that sense then. And, and it just makes it interesting to keep kind of digging further. Yeah. And I would say it, uh, in a lot of respects, it's a brilliant book, but not a good book. What, what do you but, mean? So it's, what I mean is in the sense of, it's not a book that's pleasure. That, that we've talked about this multiple times, so I don't want to belabor it, but it's not a book that's pleasant to read. So it's not a mm-hmm. good book in that sense. It's not, it's not a good book in the sense of like what's happening in it is good. Mm-hmm. Right. It's like, it wants you to understand that it's not good yeah. and that the world is not good. Right. That's the critique is like, this is the word. And by using actual, you know, by writing, by writing a mythology of, of actual events, this ends up being a critique, not only of the world of, of the, of the fictional novel, but it's designed to bleed over into this world, right? This is the world that we live in. Mm -hmm. This is a mythology of our world. Right. Yeah. And this is how things actually are. And this world is really messed up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's then, no course, good guys. There's, the there's no, there's no, there's no end point to where th- people are getting better or, you know, it's not, it's not the hero's journey. It's, it's, it's not the kid learning things and, and, and growing as a, as a person, he becomes a man. He goes from a kid to being a man, but with no change. What's happened? Yeah, with no change. And and that's the thing about this book is that, it, again, it's a postmodern novel in that sense. There's And this is one of the things that drives me crazy about it. And it's one of the reasons I didn't enjoy it the first time <laughs> is that it doesn't have a linear narrative in the sense of there, there's no development. There's no telos. There's no place it's going. Mm-hmm. And actually, that's the point. Yeah. <laughs> right? There, this is again very Nietzschean. It's actually very Ecclesiastic, you know, very, um, very much Ecclesiastes in that sense of you know, 
generation comes and generation goes, but the earth remains forever. You know, you can coat this, the, 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 the desert sands with blood. And guess what? In a generation or two, no one will remember you. Well, not you even know, that. What, like in, in, in the book, he, he says that there's one massacre that takes place and the next morning, there's very little trace of it because the wind and the sand and it's just yep. been covered over. It's the and next no one morning, will, you know? Yeah, no one will remember. Those people are ephemeral. They don't matter. And no one matters, it turns out. And since no one matters, then then what? Mm-hmm. Nothing matters. No one matters because it's all it's all ephemeral it's all chasing the wind it's all there's no there's no morality there's nothing to to hold on to and so if you have any development if you have any learning if you have any stepping forward it undermines that but this is yeah. basically wanting this is wanting you to get to the end of it in frustration and being like but wh- but what's the point and he wants you to go yeah okay yeah exactly yeah <laughs> <laughs> and that's the brilliance of it mm-hmm so in that sense, it's it's a it's a brilliant book. It's you might even call it a great book, but it's not a good book. Mm-hmm. It's like Schindler's List. You, it is not pleasurable watching that movie. But there's some even really though that important... movie has a more redeeming end, at least right. You, yeah, you get yeah. to the end and you're like, well, you know, you know, there's. There's something good that came out of this, even though most of, you know, this, there's some horrors here. Mm-hmm. Think about Schindler's List, but you cut out the last 15 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, on that note, we should probably, uh, and maybe we should release this around Christmas to just add to the joy, <laughs> joy of the season. <laughs> Well, you know, and I want to, I want to do a little bit, you know, you usually have your one thing these days. I mean, since, since I've been uh, participating in all of this, uh, or since I've not been able to participate lately, as I've been working on my own books, uh, one of which is coming out in March, April, and another one uh, should be done here soon. And it will be on my next year's reading list. Yeah. So aside from, uh, you know, with that, I've not been uh, as much of a co-host as I had been when we first started this. And you've really develop this podcast and you've got your whole rhythm here. So how about we take the last three or four minutes and you, you go through your usual one thing and you know, your usual end. And I will just take a step back and I want to listen to, to your, 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 your discussion there. Okay. And maybe you do a uh, one thing as well. But so last week uh, when I covered the covered blood Meridian, my one thing was the ending and, and how if judge, if judge Holden's view that, God is war. You can't have mercy. And if the kid was merciful, the kid has to be eliminated. And so it all tied in to my reading of the book in the sense that the kid is the one that got killed. And so that one thing got challenged this past week when, because for that episode, I didn't, I didn't want to look at much online. I I just wanted to share what I had, what I had uh, come across in the book. But this past week, I looked more at what other people were saying about the book. I, li- I listened to the Yale lectures about the book, which which we'll have in the show notes. Uh, so I, I did a little more research, and just to even see that there were that that there were other interpretations of the end of the book. That's my new one thing because it flipped everything around. Because I thought I kind of had, to some degree, the storyline mapped out. 
because if the kid is killed because he's merciful, okay, well, here's the parts where he's merciful and then that's why he's killed. But if the kid partook in the murder of the little girl, either with the judge or by himself, well, that that changes how I read the book. So now I've <laughs> got to go back through the book and, oh, okay, well, the judge was talking about the soul in this part. And then he said, your soul may be taken or it may be demanded of you tonight. Did he actually mean his life or did he mean something that he would kill the soul, but the, the kid would still be alive, uh, the man at that point. So it, it just, it caused me to, to, to look at the book anew and actually become really intrigued in it uh, or, or, or about the book. And I, and I guess what you were just saying about seeing the brilliance of the book, um, I, I knew that there was something deep about the book the first time. I read it. I just didn't want to go into it. And I was not smart enough to catch the illusions and, and all that. So reading it this time and then doing some research to to see what those illusions were to Moby Dick, to Milton, to the Wordsworth poem. Um, I love that. And, 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 it, and it ties in deeply what we discussed in that Bible Q&A episode earlier this year of just taking things a little slower when you're reading if something strikes you as that is not a common term or that is not a common way that this would be described, why did he do that? It's important to ask that question and, and dig a little deeper and see, because there, there might be a gem there. It may be pointing to another book. And I, I, I love that aspect of it because to me, that is a reading becomes a treasure, a, a treasure map in a, in a way of, well, this book alludes to this one and alludes to this one, and it all adds to what this book means. And so everything in Blood Meridian, it's not just this novel, but he can point to Wordsworth or he can point to Milton, and that just gives all this other context. And so that's my new one thing is the brilliance of the end of this book where it is, it's written in such a way that it can be interpreted in different ways. And if you interpret it in the different ways, it changes how you read the rest of the book. And and I loved that. Yeah. That's hard to, hard to improve on that. Um, if you want my one thing, I would, I would say it gets back to, this is ultimately the, this is, this is the Nietzschean, the post Nietzschean world, uh, novelized. This is, and in many respects, this is the, the, uh, moral framework, the moral universe that we are increasingly living in, in our, in our culture, uh, where there, there, there is less and less that is easily agreed upon in terms of shared culture and religious framework and all of those other things. And ultimately, once you're in that situation, all that's really left is power. And that's, that was Nietzsche's point, And that's what you get from the judge is he says, you know, it makes no difference what men think of war. War endures. As well might ask men what they think of stone. War was always here. Before man was, war waited for him. The ultimate trade awaiting its ultimate practitioner. That is the way it was and will be. That way and not some other way. And so ultimately, conflict. The, 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 effort to over to to overcome one another to you know for, for the uh, the fitter to survive that's ultimately the the framework that is that you're left with and in that framework this is the kind of 
the, the world of this novel is the kind of world that you wind up with. And that's, 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 I think, important food for thought. That's, that, that leaves mm -hmm. us with something to go, given that, given that most of us probably don't have the stomach for that world, there, there might be something that that's telling us. Hmm. Well, well, I'm glad I reread it. Um, <laughs> didn't want to, but, uh, I'm, I'm glad I did. And, and it's, uh, it's, it, it was eye opening to me to, uh, to have such different, uh, experiences reading it the first time and, and this time. All right, that's going to do it for this episode. Thank you for listening. I'd love to hear from you. You can email me at eric at booksoftitans.com. I would love to hear what you thought about Blood Meridian. Did you hate it? Were you able to get through it the first time you read it? Did it take you a few times? What did you think about the end? Did, did you think the kid was the one that got killed? Uh, maybe the little girl who killed who at the end? Uh, I'd love to hear those things from you. Maybe we missed some things from the from the book that that really stood out to you. I'm tr I'm, I'm really trying to get to know this book better, so uh, I'd, I'd love to hear from you on that. You can contact me at that email address or on social media, where on Instagram or Twitter, you can find Books of Titans at Books of Titans. The, the website is also stock full of resources to help you create your own reading list and to find really good books. You can do that at booksoftitans.com and you can support the podcast at booksoftitans.com forward slash support. I'll be back next week discussing another book from my 2020 reading list. Until then, keep reading, keep learning, and keep listening. I'm out.